Are we still? Are we having trouble getting the... Uh... Yes. Yes. And, and what kind of trouble are we having? It's a technical difficulty. Okay. Uh, well, in that case, sit down. And, and let me just read to you, because I didn't hear what they said, but I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's valid. Because uh, <laughs> I know the people up there. Oh, she can sit on the monitor, but can't get it on the screens? Okay. <laughs> I was going to rebuke the screens, and I thought, that's not a good idea. That's actually a real bad idea. We probably need to bless those screens. Uh, John chapter 8, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to read verses 31 through 44. And uh, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we will be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the, in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father. They answered, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the power of your word, and I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for healing these screens. I pray that you'd heal our hearts, and that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Use this to advance your kingdom today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that was different. Uh, but uh, yeah, here we are. Truth and freedom are joined at the hip, and not just because this passage indicates that, but because it, it's, it's in fact a reality. You, cannot be, you can't be free without truth, and when you have truth, you will become free. It's just that simple. And part of verse 31 is, is, is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible to those who have a casual knowledge of Scripture. And you know what I'm getting ready to say. The truth will set you free. It's such a magnetic, um, such a charismatic, such a, uh, a powerful statement. It serves beautifully 
to set up anyone who is getting ready to tell you what they think the truth is. And in the case of politicians, it's often whatever you already want to hear. Because that's the way you get elected. And uh, you say, well, now you're, you're hitting on this pretty often. I, I'm looking at this as detox. This is why it's so easy to play on the, the fears and baser elements of, of the population uh, by what is referred to as a, as a demagogue. How many of you know this word? Okay, a few of you do. Uh, it sounds like demigod, but it's not. Uh, a, a demagogue, and this is, the, this is the definition of one, is a political leader who seeks support by appealing to popular desires and prejudices rather than by using rational argument or appealing to more noble aspirations. Abraham Lincoln was sort of the anti-demagogue. That's why he was able to make speeches that contain phrases such as with charity toward all and malice toward none. Wouldn't get elected today. He attempted to call forth the better angels of our nature, as he called them, so we killed him. Which is what we tend to do with people who want to call forth the better angels of our nature. It's what happens in this, in the, in this passage. Uh, we didn't read to the end of the chapter, but if you read to the end of the chapter, you find out the way this discussion ended up was they picked up stones to try and kill him. Jesus was able to escape. I used to think, well, you know, what's wrong with, with the popular notion, with what people think? Isn't that, isn't that really what it's all about? But uh, as I've gotten older, I've discovered that popular desires and prejudice has never been an ally of godly righteousness. As we see in this passage, uh, and, and as I, as I, we, I mean, we have a tendency to think, to mistake our prejudices and biases, godly righteousness, but the truth is they're two very different things. Isaiah says that all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags in God's sight. And if all of our righteous acts are filthy rags in God's sight, then what must our prejudices and biases be? As I say, the, the, the popular ideas have never necessarily been a, 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 an ally of righteousness. Korah was a demagogue who played to the people's ideas and rebelled against Moses. Uh, Ahab's uh, prophets, when they were saying, go and attack Ramoth Gilead and be successful, they were playing to the popular ideas. The, the prophets who stood opposed to Elijah, the prophets who stood opposed to Jeremiah, the prophets who stood opposed to Ezekiel were all playing to the to the popular ideas. Pilate was playing to the popular notion when he condemned Jesus to the cross. And it's also true not just of uh, political leaders, it's true of, uh, of religious leaders at times. Over in 2 Timothy, Paul says, for the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. No, they won't. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And uh, Boy, have we got them. The more popular teachers these days either tend to, to, to just, well, they go one or two directions, but, but two of the main things that they do is they tend to make everybody feel good or, or just simply play to popular prejudices and fears and baser instincts. You want money? 
you'll find teachers who will tell you how to get it. They'll tell you not only how to get it, but that you ought to get it and that it's right to get it and God wants you to have it. And because everybody that has money, we all know, is very happy and very godly. Of course, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many thorny griefs. You want to hate someone? You'll find teachers who will tell you it's okay. Yeah, you can hate that group. You can hate those people. God, God's all, you, you need to hate them because God hates them. Of course, my Bible said God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son. But you can find, you can find ones to support that. You want immorality, you want legalism, which in my mind are just two sides of the same coin. You'll find teachers who'll approve of anything that you want to do or set out all the rules that you want to put down. Going in the opposite direction, some people, you know, want to hear what they want to hear, but the opposite direction, some people think that uh, just because you step on a lot of toes that you must be from God. Boy, I feel so bad after that sermon. That must have been the word of the Lord. Ouch, preacher. You know, know, when I hear that, I tend to kind of think, I don't know, you you might not have caught that the right way. And, and, you know, I I think sometimes it's not so much a matter of our toes being stepped on as it's a matter of us thinking, you know, I really know that, but boy, these people need to hear this. These people really need to hear what he's saying up there. Do you hear that? Yeah. Uh, But... Whether or not I make you feel good or make you feel bad or someone else makes you feel good or makes you feel bad has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the word came from the Lord. Anybody who's worth their salt as a a public speaker can make you feel bad. Can make you feel badly. I mean, they could uh, uh, just put up the right picture, start laying on the guilt and bam, you're there. And anybody who's worth their salt as a public speaker can make you feel good and warm and cuddly and fuzzy all about yourself so that's not that's not the the test the litmus test is this does the whole counsel of scripture and the spirit of christ bear witness you know not were we able to grab a few proof text here but does the whole counsel of scripture which is why it's important to know the whole counsel of scripture and the spirit of christ bear witness with with what's just been said truth and freedom like i said are joined at the hip and jesus said this if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and the key word in all of that is then whether it's one sentence or two now my my senior english teacher would have turned over in her grave to see them starting a sentence with then but but you know we kind of do that nowadays uh but then is the key word in that passage because knowing comes after holding to doing comes before really knowing i mean you can you can read something and go oh i see that you know but really when it comes to the word of god it's not until you begin to put it into practice that you begin to really know what it has to say uh i know how to throw a knuckleball and I know how to throw a really mean slider but I can't do either one and it's not because I'm old because I'm not that old 
Okay, I am that old. But it's because I don't practice it. I haven't done it in years. Don't, don't put it into practice. Before you can know the truth, you have to hold to practice Christ's teachings, become a disciple. Now, we all fall short in many ways, but I want to take just a, a couple of minutes here to talk about discipleship because I'm going to put five things up here. And the first three are things that we usually stop with. And they may or may not be discipleship. They're all good, but they may or may not be discipleship. And the first one is avoid obvious sin. Well, yeah, of course you ought to avoid obvious sin. I mean, of course, that, that's part of it. But I know people who avoid obvious sin and they don't believe there's a God in heaven. So this is not necessarily in and of itself discipleship because you can do this in your own strength. Giving to every need, it's, it's, it's great to give. It's great to be generous. It's great to want to help. But that may or may not be discipleship because there's so many, there's so many different areas that, that sometimes we do it out of guilt. Sometimes we do it out of a sense of superiority. I can fix that. I had a friend that um, we, we hang out two or three times a year. And this last week was one of those times. And at one point during the day, he said, well, brother, what are we going to do to fix this situation over in the Middle East? And I said, we're not going to fix this situation over in the Middle East because we can't. How many of you have ever, how many of you have ever taken a lawnmower apart? How many of you actually got it back together again? Okay, yeah, brag. Yeah. yeah I mean, we think, how many of you have ever taken a car apart? Okay, there you go. I'm not going to ask how many of you got back together again. You, you think you did, but just ask the owner. Yes, they... <laughs> <laughs> if you're the owner, then okay. But here's the thing. You know, we, we, sometimes, sometimes we try to fix something, and sometimes it ends up in a lot worse shape than it was before we tried to fix it. I tried to fix a washing machine once. I dismembered the thing. And I had a book telling me how to do all of this. And it... The poor thing never did get back together. It's, it's resting in a, um, in, in a landfill somewhere right now. Resting in pieces, as they say. <laughs> and so, you know, even the, the enemy can use this. He can get us so distracted and, and, and doing, 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 doing. That's not what discipleship is. It's important to serve, it's important to give, it's important to be generous. But discipleship is, is another step further, and we'll go to that here in just a second. But I'm going to put up the third one, and it might be shocking. Learning Scripture. Now, you know, if you've been here any length of time, how important I believe learning Scripture is. I mean, I, I, it's, it's essential. But the truth of the matter is, there are people who know Scripture better than you do, who do not believe there's a God in heaven, who do not believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead. So that in and of itself is not discipleship. These are the two things that 
make all of this discipleship. This is the most important one right here. Walking under the direction of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not God. God isn't looking for people who have a lot of cash. He's looking for people who have a lot of obedience and will give what they have of themselves. He's not looking for people who have a lot of ability to go in and fix things. He's looking for people who can take direction to be able to fix things. And so it's a matter of listening to the Holy Ghost. And then the other one is love. You know, I may go, you talk about love all the time. Yeah, I know. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> Once again, this is detox, people. Because we, we don't live in a loving society or a loving culture. We, we, we live in a very difficult, hard, murderous one. And that's not what we're called to. We're called we're called to love. It's, abs- it's absolutely essential. Uh, and you can't be a disciple without it. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. So whoever does not love is not a disciple of Christ because they don't know God. And Jesus said over in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. How simple. How simple. You know, we think it's by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you, if you don't go to the liquor store. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you... If you don't hang out with the wrong people, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. If you, if you, if you dress modestly, by this, everyone, all these things can be good, but that's not how you know who a disciple is. And sometimes we cover up the fact that we don't love by doing all these other things and going, well, you know, I'm a disciple. No, you're not. Yeah, I knew you'd like that. Ouch. Only if you love. Jesus started, out, started this out by saying, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Love is what identifies the disciples. And until you get there, you can't know the truth. And until you know the truth, you can't be, set, you can't be truly free. And then the people said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. What are you talking about this, this, this freedom thing? They... <laughs> You know, they said it so much, they actually believed it. You've moved to a new level of maturity when you read the scripture, when you no longer only identify with the heroes. Moses and David and Joshua. Yeah, I know how they feel. And, And then the next level is you actually agree with some of the villains. I mean, not agree, but identify with them. You go, man, you know, I... I see myself in Korah. I see myself in Jezebel. I see myself in Judas. But you've moved to even another level when you see yourself in everybody. Because people are people. They really are. It doesn't matter what era they lived in. It doesn't matter what race they come from or what culture they come from. People are people. And just as 
just as they begin to believe their own myths, we do the same thing. We've never been slaves of anyone. Oh, really? Oh, what about that 400 years in Egypt thing? What was that called? Oh, Egyptian bondage? Is that maybe? And then more recently, let's see, I think there was this thing with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, 70 years of captivity. And even right now, they were living under Rome, for crying out loud. Talk about taxation without representation. You know, this is exactly what they had. And, and in fact, a Roman soldier could come to, a, uh, to one of these children of Abraham and say, here, carry my pack for the next mile. I'm tired. And it didn't matter what you were doing or what you needed to do or where you were going. You were going to carry that pack for the next mile. Yeah, we've never been slaves of anyone. Not really. But of course, Jesus wasn't really even talking about that. He said, I know you're Abraham's descendants. A lot of people were Abraham's descendants. Uh, the, 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 the Edomites were Abraham's descendants. Those were the descendants of Esau through Isaac. And, and, uh, and the, actually the uh, Midianites uh, were Abraham's descendants. The ones that Gideon uh, fought against. They, uh, after, after Abraham's wife Sarah died, he married a woman named Keturah and he had several sons and one of them was Midian. And, and they came from them. The Arabs were all Abraham's descendants. They came through Ishmael. True, this group was descended through Jacob, to whom God had, had made specific promises. But understand this, corporate promises are great, but they have to be obtained and they can be forfeited individually. The children of Israel went into the promised land, but not until a whole generation of them had died who didn't get to go in. They went into the promised land, but it wasn't a great blessing to Achan when they got there. A godly heritage is a wonderful thing. It's worth more than gold. You know, if you've got the choice of leaving your kids a stack of cash or leaving your kids a godly heritage, it's not even remotely close as to which one is the most important. My grandfather... Uh, Alan Mitchell was a pioneer Pentecostal pastor. And my father, Harvey Meek, was a, was a faithful pastor. And neither one of them uh, had a, a lot of money. My, uh, my, my father's mother, Florence Meek, was one of these faithful praying, reading your Bible every day and praying for two hours every day women most of her life which as a as a widow with six kids you know kind of had to do that to survive especially during the depression uh and as far back as i as i know my family they basically i mean that's why half of my my great 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 greats were named moses uh was because they were they were godly and i have reaped such a harvest of grace from that and it took me a while to appreciate it took me a long time to appreciate it. I mean, when I was a teenager in particular, I used to think, why aren't my, my, I wish my daddy had a good factory job. He could get me on at the Ford glass plant. All of the guys in, in the church who made money worked at the Ford glass plant. He could get me on there if he just weren't a preacher. We'd have more money. 
And then the older I, I got, I began to realize, you know what? I don't think I really want to work at Ford Glass Plant, for one. And for two, it's not about money. The great, I, I mean, as I look at my life, I don't know why God's been so good to me. I really don't. I, I don't begin to deserve the things that he's done for me. I don't begin to deserve the things that I have. I'm a stinker. Hi, my name is Ronnie Meek, and I am a stinker. I, <laughs> Hi. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> but I do know why. It's that, it's that heritage. It's that unmerited favor that's been passed down. Wow. What a wonderful thing that is. But pedigree is ultimately not the ultimate. It won't, it won't get you there. God's not looking for grandkids. Jesus said to the Jews, there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and take their places in the, at the feast in the kingdom of God because... God's looking for children. And not just Abraham's children. John the Baptist said, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. God is not looking for children born in the natural way. To all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor a human decision nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Isaac wasn't born in the natural way. His parents were barren. They were too old to have kids. It was impossible, yet he was born. Jesus was not born in the natural way. He was a child of promise. His mother was a virgin. She had never been with a man. You can't have a child that way, and yet they did. We're not born in the natural way when we come into the kingdom. We have to be, we have to be born again. Galatians 4.28, Paul says, Now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. So who is your daddy? <laughs> Jesus, in talking to the, to the Jews in this particular instance, said, if, you were God, if God were your father, you would love me. There's that four-letter word again. You would love me, for I have come here from, from God. It's not surprising that that word love is again on display, proving connection to God. And it's not just talking about, he's not just talking about himself, because later on, he, he says over in Matthew 25, that whatever you've done to one of the least of these, one of my brothers and sisters, that's what you do to me. That's what you've done for me. And then Jesus says, <laughs> and I just, have to, I just have to kind of chuckle at this because I wonder how many people came up to Jesus afterwards and said, that was a wonderful sermon, Pastor. You really stepped on my toes. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. 
not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar, the father of lies. You're just like him. Boy, (laughs) oh my goodness. Now there's a sermon. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus came to set us free, and that requires being set free from bondage to sin, but not just the obvious sins, not just the, you know, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do kind of (laughs) sins that are out there. It includes the innate instinct to carry out the desires of the devil, the prince of this world. 1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. doesn't mean that the earth belongs to him, but the system that's in place is under his control. And what are his desires? Murder. From Cain to the cross to you. His desires are are to kill. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And, and, And the truth of the matter is, I think he'd really, we're not just talking about putting people in the ground. I think he'd really rather kill you inside and have you walking around causing trouble. Than, than be in the ground. I mean, that, this, he, he wants to murder you. And we, we live in a murderous culture. How many of you have wanted to murder someone this week? How many of you are, are being honest at this point in time? Okay, I, yeah, I know Rhonda doesn't want to kill anybody, but I know some of you are just kind of sitting there going, uh, I don't want to murder anybody. Well, maybe. But that doesn't really count, you know, because I knew I wasn't going to do it. Oh, it doesn't count because you knew you weren't going to do it? We live in a world that is increasingly bent on murder. from, From each new outrage, the seeds of the next outrage is born. And it's so easy to get caught up in the cycle. So easy to get, to get caught up in the escalation of, of violence and anger. But it's a lie. It's a lie. And that's the other desire. The language of the devil is lies. Oh, it's just a little fib. No, it's lies. First thing we ever hear him say is, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, that's the indirect method of lying because he he knew that wasn't what God said. He was setting setting Eve up because she just wasn't that bright. And we're not either. And he's, he's slick. He's good at lying. Finally is able to to move to the direct method. You will certainly not die. I mean, this this looks like fun, doesn't it? Well, yes, it is fun. Until you die. This path looks like the right path, doesn't it? Yes, there is a way that looks right. Until you die. Until 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 it kills you. 
And so when he says, when he whispers to you, God won't help you. God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really love the whole world. He, 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 he might kind of like you. He doesn't love them. And isn't this all proof that there is no God? He's lying. He's lying. And lies lead to slavery. When you know the truth and you're set free, nobody, nobody can take that away from you. When, you. when you're trapped in a lie, you are enslaved and nothing can break you loose except for the truth. Through the grace of God. Lies lead to slavery from Russia to Rwanda and China to Chile and sea to signing sea. It happens in every culture. But if the sun sets you free, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Now, it may take a little while to work its way into your life, but it happens. It, last week, I made the comment that sin that is covered by the blood of Christ will not keep you out of heaven, but it will keep heaven out of you. And it's the same, it's the same here. As soon as you come to Christ, he sets you free. But in order to walk in that freedom, and the joy and the peace that comes from that freedom, a freedom that the world cannot take away from you. In order to walk in that, you have to become a disciple. You have to hold to his teaching and begin to walk in what he has, what he has taught, what he has said. Then you know the truth. And then the truth sets you free. And no matter what anybody says to you, no matter what's on the news, no matter what kind of curses were spoken over you, they are broken by the power of truth and freedom. Would you stand with me? I said to the first service, I'm going to say this again. I, with those who are going to pray with people, come forward. Uh, you know, preparing a sermon is, a really, is, is an interesting process. And all of you should try it at some point in time. You know, whether you have to get up and give it or not, you should, you should, you should try it. And sometimes the Lord speaks to you about things, and, and then you do, you do your sermon, and you just kind of, kind of go, Wow. God, there it is. It's, it's yours. I don't know. Uh, I don't feel like there's any way I could possibly do this justice. But I don't have to. The Holy Spirit speaks to people. Holy Spirit speaks to people. And if he's spoken to you today, if there's anything that you need from him, maybe you brought a need in the house. Or maybe after you got in the house, he spoke to you and said something to you or maybe you don't know Christ and you'd like to, to meet him because we can introduce you to him uh, he's here the altar is open and you just need to come you just come uh, it's not a not a difficult or complicated process uh, 
And, and you know, it's not just for need because you may, you may have come in the house with a testimony with a heart full of thanksgiving and you just need to go. I, some of these people down here would not mind praising with you. Mm. If you, if you want to come and just do that, that'll work too. If you don't need to come, you sing with us and we'll, we'll worship and make some atmosphere for the Holy Spirit. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world 
so that we might have life and might have it to the full to sit at liberty those who are captive to be the prince of peace may he reign in your heart and in your life and may you truly have something to carry to this empty and dark world through Jesus Christ our Lord Amen